Welcome to the Anne Arundel County Police Department. What you are about to hear are real stories told by some of the men and women who lived through them. Join us as we examine active, closed, and sometimes cold cases with an occasional look behind the badge. Our mission is to be informative and engaging with the goal of providing justice and just maybe closure to our victims and their families. I'm Chris Anderson, and this is The Crime Journal. Hey, I'd like to welcome everyone to the show. I'm your host, Chris Anderson, and you're listening to The Crime Journal. As we begin this episode, I'd like to remind our listeners that this is an open and ongoing murder investigation. Detectives are still searching for the person or persons responsible. If you or anyone you know has information that can help us solve this case, please call the Anne Arundel County Police Department tip line at 410-222-4700. It's Monday. November 18th, 2019. The sun has already set in the Morris Hill community on the outskirts of Baltimore, Maryland. And there it was, a noise, an everyday occurrence, a knock, a rapping on the front door of a modest home on Morris Avenue. A mother answers the door and finds a man standing in front of her. He asks to speak with her son. He doesn't enter, he just stands there, patiently waiting. So like any mom would do, she goes, tells her son that the man is waiting. He walks out onto the porch. It would be the last steps that she would see her son take. Gunshots ring out, echo through the neighborhood. Mom calls 911. And when police and paramedics arrived, nothing could be done to save him. 28-year-old Xavier Green was dead. Today, I am joined by Detective Jason DiPietro. How are you, Chris? I'm good. Thanks for being here today. We've got a lot to talk about. And also joining me is the current Director of Media Relations, Lieutenant Jackie Davis. Hey, it's nice to be here. And Chris, if I may interject myself here just for a second, for your viewers, Detective Davis and I were partners back in the Homicide Unit 10 years ago-ish? Probably close to. Probably close to. So today we're here to talk about Mr. Xavier Green. Um, go ahead. Um, go ahead and start off with... Uh, you know, how, how this case came to our attention. So uh, the Xavier Green homicide dates back to November 18th. It was about 6.30 p.m. Um, in the Morris Hill community. We got called for a report of a shooting. Uh, when officers arrived, um, they were directed to the back porch of the residence by the victim's mother. And there was uh, Xavier Green had been shot multiple times, and he was subsequently pronounced deceased at the scene. And what, what sort of information? You said it was his mom um, that, that called uh, 911? Yes, it was a unique set of circumstances in that um, prior to the shooting, there was a knock at the door, the front door. And Xavier's mom went to answer the door and came into contact with what turned out to be our suspect. And they engaged in conversation, and the suspect was asking, um, you know, is, is Xavier there? Mom had no clue who this individual was and went to the back room to retrieve Xavier, and Xavier wasn't expecting anyone and walked outside and then roughly 30 to 60 seconds later is when mom heard the shots. So you're saying in in this case the suspect actually looked at mom, talked to mom before murdering her son? Yes. And in this case, which is, this doesn't happen a lot. Um, I've been in homicide now 15 years and I don't, I can honestly say I don't recall an incident where this has ever happened. Um, Because mom was so descriptive, we actually had her sit down with a forensic sketch artist out of Charles County and came up with a rendering of what our suspect would look like. And so even though mom, I guess, didn't recognize 
the person she was talking to at the front door. Was there any sort of indication that she said Xavier knew who he was talking to when he actually like went out to talk to him, or, or do we not know? No, she specifically said that he acted, Xavier acted like he had no clue. He wasn't expecting anyone. He didn't know who a person was. He just went outside to talk to whoever this person was just to see, I guess, what they were there for. And I guess in the, the immediate follow-up, uh, I guess, neighborhood canvas, talk to neighbors, see anything, hear anything, you, you know, try to follow the evidence, like, you know, in, in any case, how, how did that go? Uh, we did conduct several neighborhood canvases, and we did get a little bit of information as far as um, the direction of our suspect, which way he ran, which way he approached the house. Uh, but no one in the neighborhood claimed to have any specific information as far as, uh, you know, I saw someone, like I know this person to be so-and-so. Um, we do believe, based upon our investigation, that the person responsible for this uh, was part of an organization that um, Xavier was once a part of. Um, Xavier was, back in the day, was, as mom would describe, a wild child, got in trouble a lot, had hung out with the wrong people, um, but had gotten his life together recently. And what was so unique about this incident was that next morning when this happened, um, they were all supposed to move out of the neighborhood. Uh, they were, they had already sold the house, they were moving, and then there was a knock at the door on the night that they, their last night there. So that tells us that, uh, that the per people responsible for this knew they were leaving and this was probably their last shot to get at Xavier. Wow. So tell me a little bit about this area. I understand that it's a, it's a stone's throw away from Baltimore City, if I understand it correctly, um, but it looks too, like there's a lot of good thoroughfares for a suspect to get a pretty quick escape. Uh, appears to be very close to the Baltimore Beltway, which is miles from a lot of interstates, that type of stuff. Did that hurt your initial response, your initial canvas with having so many quick ways out of the area, even for responding patrol officers? Yes. Uh, for those that aren't familiar, Morris Hill is up off Ritchie Highway behind the MVA in Glen Burnie. Uh, so within seconds, you could be on, you know, Ritchie Highway, and if you head north, you're right there at the Beltway. If you head south, you can get on Route 10, Route 100, and you could disappear very quickly. It did make it difficult because at first we did not, we didn't have any suspect vehicle description. No one saw a vehicle fleeing the scene at a high rate of speed. We had a gentleman on foot who ran. Um, so it was a little difficult in that we didn't know exactly what we were looking for as far as vehicles. Mm -hmm. And. As far as the murder weapon goes, we knew it was uh, a firearm. Did what? What? What came about from that? Uh, casings on the scene. You know what? What happened with that part of the investigation? So the firearm, and I, I can't get into specifics of the caliber alone because it's still an ongoing investigation. But as part of any shooting in Anne Arundel County, whenever there are shell casings left at a scene, they are taken to our evidence collection unit, which is eventually forwarded to our uh, firearms examination unit, and they enter it into a system called NIBIN. Um, NIBIN is maintained by the ATF, Alcohol, Tobacco, Firearms. And basically, it's a, it's a warehouse of databases of different firearms that have been used in different crimes, and they're able to actually match up. If you have shell casings at one scene, they enter it into NIBIN. If the system hits, and they do a physical comparison with the examiners, and they're actually able to link the same firearm to different crimes. And can we discuss something a little bit more specific when it came to Mr. Green that kind of tied that to something else that you guys would discover a yes. little bit later on down the road? Uh, yes, this is common knowledge. Later on down the road, uh, once our firearms examination got, unit got the shell casings, it was matched to a January homicide in Baltimore City. 
of a um, elderly woman by the name of Carolyn McFadden. And that was uh, the the preceding or the following January? That was the, well, it was, so this happened in November of 19. Miss Miss McFadden was killed in January 2020. Okay. Um, And do... Do we have any information to say that the firearm from Miss McFadden's homicide was recovered, or is that firearm still unknown, or can we talk about that? We could talk about it. The firearm is in our possession. Okay. We have the firearm. Okay. When I say we, law enforcement. Yeah. Wow. So when we first started this conversation, you said that there was the knock on the front door, but that Xavier was found in the back. Do we know how they end up in the back Was there a struggle? Was there a chase? Do we know what happened in the moments preceding his death? Based upon the scene, we believe that when Xavier went outside to talk to this individual, there was some type of altercation, whether physical or verbal, we don't know. Uh, we believe Xavier ran around to the house to get back into the house once a fire was produced, and that's where he was shot and killed on the back porch. Wow. And mom was inside this whole time? Mom and dad, yes. Oh, wow. Okay. Now, during your initial investigation, your initial canvas, did you have witnesses come forward? Did you get any information um, other than from the parents? We spoke to a lot of neighbors. Um, a lot of neighbors, candidly, were reluctant to talk to police. Um, we did speak to some neighbors that were cooperative that didn't really have or see anything out of the ordinary. So they were cooperative in that respect to see, you know, that I didn't see anyone run by my house or anything like that. And so with a lot of homicide investigations, we look at the, the usual suspects, you know, uh, girlfriend, ex-girlfriend, ex-wife, um, a lot of these things surround, you know, love, lust, greed. Um, were, were there any sort of those factors that came into play, or do we believe that this went into a direction of, you know, uh, potentially known associates or potentially known associates of Xavier who, who were responsible, or, or do we still not know? Well, this I can say. Again, I have to be limited on what I can say. But based upon the fact you have the same firearm used in both murders, based upon the fact, without getting into the specifics of Baltimore City's investigation, uh, there was a known link between our case and their case pertaining to individuals associated with both cases. That took us into the direction of talking to, uh, again, no one with specific information, but talking to people in the neighborhood. There was a group of individuals that were dealing narcotics out of the Morris Hill neighborhood um, that we began to focus our investigation on. So I guess in the the course of your investigation, this did not seem to be a random incident where someone just showed up at Mr. Green's house, knocked on his door and said, hey, this is going to be the guy that I'm going to pick today. There were prior events that led up to the, the death of Mr. Green. This was a targeted incident, we believe. So it sounds like to me that the motive may have been revenge, personal, um, prideful, something along those lines. Is that where you're leaning? We believe because Xavier was, uh, he was growing up. He was, you know, he was getting older. And um, because of his, uh, his, up, his life choices growing up, he decided he wanted to do, he wanted to be a productive member of society. He had a job. He was moving out of the area. And we believe he was targeted because of his uh, decision to uh, basically leave a gang. Now, when we were investigating things together, we used to say to each other, sometimes if you give it time, if you let it breathe, that relationships change, loyalties change. Um, And some people that maybe weren't willing to talk to us at first or weren't willing to give us a full, honest statement at first, 
we'd find that months later they'd come back in and they'd be willing to talk to us for whatever reason. Is that kind of the hope in this case, that since so much time has passed, that we are hoping that maybe loyalties or relationships have changed and somebody with information might feel comfortable, safer, or just motivated or moved to, to talk about this now? Yes, specifically in this case, um, our unit and the narcotics unit and the Office of the Attorney General's Office decided to target this organization. Uh, we conducted a six-month investigation, and ultimately we ended up arresting and indicting um, several individuals from that neighborhood that we believe uh, either A, have knowledge of what happened to Xavier, or B, are directly involved. Um, we are hoping that people in the community, now that these individuals are off the street, now that they're incarcerated, that someone who may have been afraid to come forward earlier because these guys were basically running the neighborhood will now come forward and say, hey, you know, these guys are no longer around. I want to tell you what, what I know and what I've heard. Now, what would that mean to his mom? What would that mean to, to Xavier Green's mama, to have somebody come forward and give her some type of closure? Miss, Miss Green and, and, and Tim, his, his stepdad, are probably the nicest people you will ever meet. I speak to them every Wednesday, generally speaking. Sometimes my schedule doesn't allow it. And we talk about everything. And she, is, um, she knows that we, the police, are doing everything we possibly can. She's hoping that someone in the neighborhood steps up or even a member of this organization steps up and does the right thing and says, you know what, I want to do what's right for, they, everyone called him X, for X. This would mean this won't bring Xavier's mom back. Um, this won't bring Xavier back, but this will hopefully give her some closure that she can hopefully uh, move on from this because, you know, candidly speaking, and I've had conversations with her about this, she is a witness to a homicide. This is a violent gang, and she's been in hiding since this happened, and she would love nothing more than to have some peace where she could maybe step back into the limelight of what she knows as far as the community that she loves and 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 get some peace with it. So that's what we're hoping hoping will happen with the uh, release of this information. So not only did she lose her son, but she looked this unknown suspect in the eyes before he killed her son, and she's also lost any sense of normalcy that she had prior to when X was killed. Yeah, her life, I mean, as parent, a parent, I can't imagine losing my son or daughter, but it's complicated, it, it's piled on her because now she's had to move and she's been in hiding for so long and she can't move on with her life until this case is resolved, until we get the people responsible for this. Now, she did give you a letter that she asked us to read. Yes. Miss uh, Miss Green uh, prepared a, a statement uh, to basically the media press that she's hoping that her words will get someone to do the right thing. Wow. So we do have that statement and we can read it a little bit later. But can you walk us through what you get the call. So you get the call, your sergeant, your lieutenant calls you and says, hey, Detective DiPietro, we have a homicide in Morris Hill. What is the first thing that goes through your head? Walk our listeners through what does a homicide detective do in those immediate phases of an investigation? And then how did that relate to this case? So in any case, whenever we get the call, uh, whether it's in the middle of the night or this case, it was like six o'clock in the afternoon. um, As you're driving to the scene, when thousands of things are running through your mind, a checklist of, I need to do this, we need to make sure we do that. And when you get to the scene, it's very chaotic. You have patrol officers everywhere. You have sometimes paramedics and firefighters everywhere. You have neighbors who come out and want to see what's going on. So the first thing 
that we as homicide detectives like to do is when we get to the scene, we like to slow it down. We like to get everyone to take a deep breath because we only get one shot at preserving the evidence at a crime scene. And if we don't do it right, we're going to lose it forever. And that will affect, could affect the successful prosecution, I would imagine. Yes. Gotcha. And so, you know, in 15 years in homicide, what does it take to bring a case like this to closure? What, what do we need as an agency to, to help Miss Green and, and Tim to, to get that closure? Someone once very wise told me uh, they characterize a good homicide detective as a dog with a bone, and that dog will not stop until it gets the bone. And that's kind of what a homicide detective has to do. You can't, you're going to hit bricks, brick walls, you're going to hit barriers, you're going to hit dead ends, you're going to run out of leads, and you just got to keep chipping away at it. And sometimes in cases, the police have no clue who did what. We have no clue who did a, a murder. Sometimes we have a good idea, we just don't have the evidence to prove it. In this case, we have a good idea of everything. We just need that last piece of the puzzle of someone doing the right thing, stepping forward, saying, hey, this is the information I have, and hopefully bringing some closure to, uh, to Ms. Green. Yeah, so like so many times we hear, we can't do it alone. We can't do it by ourselves. It requires help and help from the community and help from the citizens um, in those communities to, to give us or provide us with, with that small piece of, of information because not only is the crime affecting the family, it's affecting the community. It also affects the detectives. Like you, you always hear of these detectives that they, they have that one case or that set of cases that, that stay with them because you also have, you know, unanswered questions, not, not just the family, but you as a detective, um, like the, the dog with the bone, like you, you, you just cannot let it go. You, you're, you're all the way through your retirement. So say, I mean, you've, you've got just as many years on as I do, um, and a little bit more. So if you were to say, be up for retirement, you know, in a month, these are cases that you will think about forever. I can best answer that. You're exactly right on everything you just said. Um, there is, now that I, I work out of our cold case squad, I just recently got assigned there. And the one thing I can tell you is contacting some of these old detectives. I've never once had them tell me, I don't remember, I don't want to help. I've had detectives, retired detectives who are now 60, 70 years old that will come to us, sit down with us and walk us through a case because you can read the report, that's one thing. But when you actually have, you read the report and you sit down with the lead investigator and you're going back and forth with them, it's you're getting a better perspective of what happens. And you're exactly right. Detectives, even after they retire, homicide detectives, they have, they want to solve that case. That might be the case that keeps them up all night. So they've always been very um, honest and like very helpful. Yep, I'll come in. And we've had detectives come in on canes sometimes that they're that old. They, they just want justice for the case. You're the end of the line. I mean, the patrol turns it over to detectives, and if the detectives don't solve it, you are that last bit of hope for these families. And not just for the family's closure, but for the protection of the rest of us with a murderer in our neighborhoods. So if it can't be solved, that's a lot of pressure on you to internalize and to take on that responsibility, I would assume. Yes, absolutely. That's a lot. Well, I'm going to read this statement that um, Xavier's mom prepared for us. And it's more of a plea. I don't want to call it a statement because it's not a statement. It's, it's a plea. 
and she's asking the community to do the right thing. She's asking us to do the right thing, and she's asking for anybody with a voice louder than hers to do the right thing. My name is Madonna Green Parker. I am a citizen of Anne Arundel County, Maryland, and the mother of Xavier Green. It's been approximately two and a half years since my son's murder. Initially, there was a tremendous amount of media coverage and a unified effort concerning our case. As difficult as it was to see and relive this nightmare, I was grateful for the airtime and the media coverage because I believed that the exposure would eventually lead to a break in this case. I still believe that. I know that it is unrealistic to assume, especially in the current climate in our state and country, that the media would continuously give attention to us, nor is that my request. I am employing, however, that even for a short period, if someone from your department would be willing to present my petition to the media to revisit and make our case fresh in the public's heart once again. I have no concrete proof, but I fully believe it will prove helpful in bringing justice more quickly. Right now, understandably so, we're consumed with the COVID-19 pandemic and our current political climate, which has caused angst and devastation in many ways. But there's still a local community who is in desperate need of the media to be a voice that we do not have without them. Our son, Xavier's case, is one of so many crying for justice. Unfortunately, our case, like so many, represents an undercurrent that is becoming more and more prevalent and morphing into the unacceptable norm in our society and state. Violence, drugs, and gangs are no longer quote-unquote Baltimore's problem. It's our problem. It's the state of Maryland's problem, and it's affecting communities far and wide. I've watched the police with great diligence and fight do all that they can. The more I watch their efforts, the more I see that all of us have a responsibility to do our share. Of course, a great part of my plea is personal, but not all. Our family and community need and deserve healing and hope, and justice is the only way to start that process. We desperately need a visible voice that can broadcast to the masses to recapture people's attention. I am praying and believing that someone will come forward and tell the truth. The drug dealers and violent criminals who comfortably hold people hostage to fear while continuing to destroy the fabric of our communities will be brought to justice. But to accomplish this more effectively, we need your help. Thank you in advance for hearing and answering my prayer and plea. Gratefully submitted, Madonna Green Parker. That gave me goosebumps just reading it. I mean, if that's not a mother's plea, not only for her son, but all of the sons and daughters whose cases are unanswered. I, I don't know what is. What does that invoke in you, Jace? It sums it up. I can't even add to that. It's so well written. And um, I'm just hoping that when someone hears it, they will do the right thing. And this could be any of our mothers or we could be this mother. Um, yes. Like she said, the violence, gangs, and drugs are no longer an isolated thing. They're everywhere. They're here. You, your team, like she says, work with great diligence and fight to do all that you can. But we do need help. We can't be everywhere. We're willing to do all the heavy lifting. We just need that 5% cooperation from the community and we'll, you know, to, to, to get a killer or killers off the street.
Now, let me ask you this, because I think this is what holds some people up, not all, but holds some people up in, in coming forward with you, is the, but what if I'm wrong? What if I say that John or Jane Doe did this and I'm not right? You're not just going to take a tip that John or Jane Doe did this and apply for an arrest warrant, correct? No. If someone calls and says John or Jane did it, we just don't run out and lock up John or Jane. There is a lot of, we compare that with the investigation, and there has to be a lot of cooperating information enough to compel our state's attorney's office to charge. Um, and we're just not going to run out and lock someone up because someone said Jane or John did it. We don't do that. And people can remain anonymous if they would like to. Yes, they can remain anonymous and they can give us a call at 410-222-4700. Outstanding. Outstanding. Is there anything that you think might jog somebody's memory? Any little detail that may or may not have been released in this big immediate post-incident media push? Is there anything that might stand out to somebody that you want to bring up again? The sketch that's going to be released, mm -hmm. I'm hoping someone takes a look at it and says, hey, that looks like so-and-so. Let us be the one to decide if so-and-so did it. We just need that help of, of getting that last piece of the puzzle to hopefully close this case and give Ms. Green and Mr. Tim some peace. Wow. I think that's, uh, that's pretty much covered it. It's um, a heartbreaker. I want to thank uh, Lieutenant Davis and Detective DePietro for joining me today. And... Uh, Hopefully we'll have another discussion here pretty soon about uh, some more of the cases that uh, we, we need to push out there and get some more interest in. I would love to have a follow-up on this and be able to say that Detective DiPietro uh, got a successful prosecution in this case. I think we all would. And just as a reminder to everyone, <clears throat> I know we put this information out to more so a lot. Uh, the Anne Arundel County Police Department is offering a $10,000 reward leading to the arrest and conviction of the person or people responsible for this. Outstanding. Get some justice for a grieving mother and keep your own community safer. Hundreds of sunsets have set in the western skies over Morris Hill since that fateful day in 2019. A singular, senseless act of violence. A family torn apart. A son's life was taken, stolen from him and his family who loved him. His name is Xavier Green. We'd like to take a moment to thank our listeners. Cases like these are often solved with help from the community. Once again, if you or anyone you know has information that can help us solve this case, please call the Anne Arundel County Police tip line at 410-222-4700. I'm Chris Anderson, and you've been listening to The Crime Journal.